Does God ever strike you as too patient with sin? And that might sound like an odd question, especially to our modern sensibilities. We find it hard to believe that God cares at all about sin or that God would judge anyone for doing anything. And we often think of the God portrayed in the Old Testament as sort of trigger happy and volatile. He's ready to crush people for the slightest offense. But the New Testament God, Jesus, is nice and he's full of grace and all that stuff. But in reality, a careful reading of the Old Testament reveals that God has always been exceedingly patient. He's been forbearing in bringing judgment upon sin. He has been merciful to the point where his own people start to question if he even is just or good. And that's what's strange. In the Old Testament, one of the main questions is, Lord, how long until you bring your righteousness? How long, O Lord, until you set things right, until you destroy our enemies? So the question in the Old Testament isn't really, how can God judge people for their sin? It's actually, why isn't God judging people for their sin? Why do the wicked prosper? Why does so much corruption infiltrate our world and permeate everything in our lives? How do we deal with the darkness that we see, not only in the world out there, but in our own hearts? And then the question starts to crystallize, why is God so patient with us at all? And one of the questions that the book of Nahum deals with is, if God permits so much evil to happen, then is he really good? And I think even for us in the modern age, we struggle with that same question. And this is where the wrath of God comes in. This is where the judgment of God comes in. God is wrathful against evil. He is judging sin because he's good. Because he's pure, unchanging, untarnished goodness. And it is his pure goodness that draws out an anger and a justice and a vengeance against all that is evil. And so the book of Nahum is going to look at the good God of wrath and why God's judgment is good news. This is Understanding Nahum. The book of Nahum is a prophecy about God's judgment on Nineveh, the capital city of the powerful and cruel Assyrian Empire. Now, Assyria has been an oppressive force against Israel for centuries. In fact, in the year 722 BC, Assyria conquered the northern kingdom of Israel. Remember, at this point in time, Israel has been split into two kingdoms, Israel in the north and Judah in the south. So the north was taken over by Assyria in 722 BC. And the southern kingdom, Judah, has been made into a vassal state for Assyria. A vassal state is sort of like uh, a, a nation that still has some measure of independence, but they're paying a tax. They're paying a fee, a tribute to a larger empire to maintain some of their independence. So it's not true independence. They're still subservient to a larger power. Now, this is a theological problem for Israel. If God is good, why is he letting a pagan nation rule over his own people? Is God not strong enough to defeat the military of Assyria? Will God not be faithful as he has been in the past in the Exodus, in defeating 
the power of Egypt in defeating all of the different nations that fought against them before? Is God unable to save his people? And this is a question that Nahum in chapter 1 is dealing with specifically. So we're just going to read Nahum 1 verses 1 through 11. And I want you to pay attention to the ways that Nahum describes God's character and how it relates to his goodness and justice. This is Nahum 1, verses 1 through 11. An oracle concerning Nineveh, the book of the vision of Nahum of Elkosh. The Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord is avenging and wrathful. The Lord takes vengeance on his adversaries and keeps wrath for his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power, and the Lord will by no means clear the guilty. His way is in whirlwind and storm, and the clouds are the dust of his feet. He rebukes the sea and makes it dry. He dries up all the rivers. Bashan and Carmel wither. The bloom of Lebanon withers. The mountains quake before him. The hills melt. The earth heaves before him. The world and all who dwell in it. Who can stand before his indignation? Who can endure the heat of his anger? His wrath is poured out like fire, and the rocks are broken into pieces by him. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who take refuge in him. But with an overflowing flood, he will make a complete end of the adversaries and will pursue his enemies into darkness. What do you plot against the Lord? He will make a complete end. Trouble will not rise up a second time, for they are like entangled thorns, like drunkards as they drink. They are consumed like stubble fully dried. From you came one who plotted evil against the Lord, a worthless counselor. Nahum's opening message is clear. God is not soft on evil, but rather God is a jealous, avenging, and wrathful force. He is a God who takes personal the evil of sin. And it even says that he keeps wrath for his enemies. You could even translate that he's a master of wrath against those who rebel against him. So don't mistake his slowness with uh, judging sin. Don't mistake his slowness to be angry as an apathy towards sin. That's very important. God is a whirlwind and a storm. He rebukes the sea. You can see an allusion to Jesus rebuking the sea in the Gospels. He dries up rivers. He withers forests and he causes mountains to quake and the earth to dry heat. You have to imagine in the ancient world, nature was this force that was unruly. We don't really have that sense now because of technology. We think that we can control everything. But we do get that sense when natural disasters happen, when hurricanes hit, when floods happen, when there's blizzards, all these kinds of natural forces. We realize how small we are, how powerless we are against the elements of nature. And here we see that the Lord, in his wrath, summons all of his power and has absolute mastery over all the forces of nature. That he himself is more terrifying than any natural disaster that we can imagine. And the implication is this, no army, defensive plot, or military scheme can defeat him. Therefore, Judah should not lose hope because God will avenge them. God will put things right. God will bring his righteous judgment. Now, if the name Nineveh sounds familiar to you, that's because it's the same city that the prophet Jonah preached to in the book of Jonah. 
But in Jonah's case, his prophetic message led to Nineveh's repentance. The entire nation under their king turns toward the Lord and repents of their sins. It's an amazing revival. Now, Nahum's case deals with the same city, but a different outcome. Their response is not repentance in this situation. Instead, in this situation, Nineveh has hardened their hearts, and God's message is one of pure judgment. If you reject my mercy, this is what you get. Now, it's difficult to tell which one came first, but these are obviously talking about the city of Nineveh at different periods of time. But in both cases, God's message is good news for his people and bad news for his enemies. It's good news for his people, bad news for his enemies. God defeats his enemies either by converting them, as in Jonah, or destroying them, as in Nahum. And this is to show that salvation belongs to the Lord. It's not Judah's strength that will defeat Assyria, but God's power alone that gives them victory. It's not Assyrian might, Assyrian power, Assyrian conquest, but rather God's will that determines the course of history. God is not jealous, avenging, or wrathful in a fickle way, kind of like a toddler could be jealous, avenging, or wrathful. He's not like us. He is perfect in his goodness. So all of his jealousy for us is a jealousy for our good. His vengeance is just and proportionate, and his wrath is the proper response because he sees the absolute wickedness of men. Every ounce of indignation he has is just and right. And it is this hatred of sin and evil that makes God a stronghold for the righteous. So you see this contrast. He is a terrifying force of nature against those who are against him. But if you are for him, if you are with him, if you trust him, the Lord is good. And he is a stronghold in the day of trouble. He is a refuge, but only for those who actually go to him and trust him as a refuge. I remember seeing a documentary on an NFL team that featured a massive defensive lineman. I mean, just a big, terrifying guy. He would just plow over people on the field with his size and physical strength. And there was this clip of him before a game. He's in uniform in his pads, looking imposing, got his, you know, the, the, the paint on underneath his eyes and all that stuff. And he's with his daughters and he's wrestling with them and kissing them and throwing them up in the air and hugging them and cuddling them and doing all these affectionate, tender things. And what I realized was the same imposing figure and strength that terrifies his enemies is the same source of comfort for his daughters. To those who are opposed to this defensive lineman, he's a terrifying force. But to his daughters, whom he has sworn to protect, whom whom has his daughters who, who trust in him, his strength becomes a security. It becomes a reason why they can feel comfort and safety in his presence. Now, that's what God's like. Because God is so terrifyingly powerful against his enemies, he is so absolutely secure for those who are loved by him and who love him and who trust him. This is the logic of Nahum. God's wrath shows us that he is always for our good. It shows us that he takes sin seriously and that if we trust in him, he's going to protect us. He's going to seek justice for us. He's going to fight on our behalf. Now, it's interesting that Nineveh, the city, is not actually named in chapter 1. It's named in chapter 2. 
So it's kind of vague who God is actually bringing his wrath against. A couple observations about that. First, notice that God is judging a pagan nation. He's not judging Israel. He's judging people who don't have the word of God. And yet all the nations are still accountable to him. That's the first observation. The second one is that Nahum keeps the identity open to show that God's judgment on Assyria is a template. It's a prototype. It's a pattern for his judgment on all nations who come against his people. So you could fill in the blank with any nation, Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome, whatever. The message is the same. God will save his people and judge his enemies. And the very terrifying strength he shows against his enemies is the source of security for those who belong to him. So the Lord is good, but he's not nice. He's not domesticated. He's not some genie whose sole purpose is to manage your life. The Lord cannot be bought. His judgments are final and uncompromising, but so are his promises. And we see this even in the gospel, the good news. It is a message both of judgment and salvation. It's a message of judgment that you need a savior. And if you reject the savior, you will be judged. But it's also a message of salvation. It doesn't have to be that way. Believe Christ and be saved. Believe and experience the mercy of God. Reject him and experience the justice of God. He is a refuge for those who love him, but a terrifying enemy for those who love evil.